Howdy. Welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And we are here in Tales from the Pits Central. Yeah, we, uh, we're getting some recording done for, for this week and for some upcoming episodes. Um, and we're also finishing the production on episode two of Patrick Fegis of Fegis Barbecue. Um, we just wanted to thank everyone that's listened to episode one so far. Um, we've had a, a tremendous rece- reception to that episode. Um, obviously, it's not a standard barbecue episode that you've heard from us, but uh, we didn't really know what that episode was going to be when we started recording. Uh, we always do a little pre-conversation with the with the interview subject before we record, just to kind of let them know what, you know what we're going to talk about. And I, I, Brian, I think both of us kind of expected like we would talk about, oh, hey, Patrick got wounded in war, and then right. he started cooking, and it would. Well, and I, I had interviewed him for the blog a while back, and it was it was the much shorter version of it, so. Um, when he opened up to us, and and we asked him before, you know, if we could even talk about it because you know we're respectful, right? In, it's in a that very way. personal story. Um, and he he opened up, and um, I mean, we had to after that section, we had to pause and take a break. I mean, I had to walk around and just kind of <laughs> kind of think to ourselves a little bit. It was very powerful. It was, and, and you know, Patrick. Um, hopefully, you're listening to this episode. Th- thank you so much for for t- sharing that story of of bravery and sacrifice and um, everything that's wonderful about the military here in this country um so obviously if if you needed another reason to visit fiji's barbecue other than the fact that they make really good barbecue uh, i think that's a really great reason to support a veteran-owned business Um, there are many veteran-owned businesses in barbecue and patrick and aaron fiji's uh own one of them so without further ado we're going to get a little more into episode two here episode two details patrick's career it's it's 100 food based on this one Food, but not necessarily barbecue. Not necessarily barbecue. Uh, his career after graduating culinary school and, and starting his cooking career in restaurants and um, eventually transitions into, you know, later in his career, there will be a third episode. We split this up just for listening ease for you guys. Um, but don't worry, we're not going to make you wait another week to hear the conclusion of the story. Um, episode three will post this week. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And thank everyone for listening. And here is Patrick Fegis. So you're working at Kona Grill out in Sugarland after you've you've finished culinary school and you're back at, back home. Um, so so you eventually ran into fine dining. How did that start for you? Uh, you know, well after Kona Grill, I was working actually at the Chevron Towers downtown, doing Mongolian running a Mongolian grill. But every day on the way home, I passed the the Burdens of Houston building, which was being rebuilt uh, after Hurricane Ike. Um, and it's just like, you know... Dang. Brennan's is right on the bayou. Or no, where's it's Brenner's. Brenner's. the other one. Brennan's. Brennan's. Brenner's. I get that every time. <laughs> where do you work? Brennan's. Fedges, oh, the Fegis. steakhouse? No, the <laughs> other one. Uh, no, Brennan's is on Smith Street. Last building before you get on the 59. Uh, same block as the Maple Leaf. Smith and Elgin. Um kind of a roster of incredible chefs that have worked there over the years. Yeah, Chris Shepard, yeah. Brady Evans, Carl Walker, uh, Joe Cervantes is, is there, Danny Trace. Danny Trace worked there for a long time, uh, yeah. Sean Hochstein, who's the chef at The Grove, Danielle soto Ains, James Beard Award winner at Cosme. Yeah, she's got a bit of a resume. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh, and a number of people. There's people coming up still um, that are, are, are working Chris Roy, who's working for Ronnie Killen now, I think at the Steakhouse, and uh, it's just—I mean, it's that place is an institution. Fifty years been open, pump. It teaches you how to run a restaurant, not how to run a kitchen, how to run a restaurant. 
and I've learned so many lessons in that restaurant. It was insane. And, uh, but uh, no, I was just driving by there, watching them rebuild every day. It's like you know, maybe try something different. You know, I've been kind of doing some not fine dining, just regular bullshit food. Let me try some, you know, challenge myself a little bit. Uh, applied there, uh, got an interview. My resume stood out because I worked at Binnigan's for a year while going to culinary school. Making the Monte Cristos. <laughs> oh, God. That's, I, mean, <laughs> I, I try and get everyone to put Monte Cristo on their menu, but I'll never put it on mine because it is such a pain in the ass, but it is so good. So so I have to bring it up. Um, I, I think it was So You Gonna Eat or What in Austin was doing a Monte Cristo with brisket. With brisket, uh, John Brotherton was flying, yeah. Oh, I did I did that when I was at Underbelly. We did, uh, we took over Blacksmith, and each cook did a dish. I did remember, brisket. Was that the Blacksmith the night thing that yeah, they used Blacksmith to do? Yeah, Blacksmith by night, Oh, yeah. that was fantastic, yeah, I remember yeah. those days. Yeah. I did brisket and Primino cheese Monte Cristos. Oh, come on. Dude, come on, dude. Yeah, I'm gonna have to bring it back. I'm nah, gonna have especially to, was, now we're gonna make you. I can't do it. It's gotta be like a special or like a. God, well, yeah, yeah. You so can't good, do it every dude. day. It was, that's... it was amazing. The secret to Monte Cristos is you make it the day before. Well, this that's soak up in the bread and everything. The bread, that way the bread sticks. If you make a sandwich and then fry it, it falls apart. So you'd run out and people are like, well, can't you just make more? Like, no, you have to. That's the secret. So, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, Coming to Double Back Barbecue. <laughs> right? The Monte Cristo Good Barbecue luck, Sandwich. Enjoy. Uh, no, Enjoy we're, we're trying to keep mess. away from fryers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the messiest thing I've ever cooked is Monte Cristo. Um, but yeah, so he's Chef Javi, who works for Cisco now. Um, he's just like, I used to work at the Bennigan's on Kirby. Uh... I know you gotta be quick. You gotta be able to move in that kitchen because it, it's insane. It really, it's like you're pulling off ten tickets at a time. It's just trailed. It's so you tell the f- two people working the fryer like, all right, you start frying stuff and I'll just pile it here and I'll start putting it on plates. Uh, and you know, I left right before they ended up going bankrupt and closing. And it was a, a, a shit show, but it's still a grinder or whatever. Um, but so that's what made my resume stand out. So. Uh, I got the interview. Initially, didn't get the job. Uh, like any restaurant, when you open up, some people don't work out, so they call me back. Asked me to come in. Why don't you come in a stage? You know, work a shit for free. Yeah, cool. And when did it? And uh, you're gonna work with the grill guy. He's running a little bit late, so just do this, do some stuff here. And they came to me like an hour later. Like, so the grill guy's not gonna show up. Can you do this? Like, yeah, I've ran a grill before. It's you know, it's been a year and a half, but yeah, yeah, I can do it. And uh, it's not the grill that I ran at Corner Grill, where I was cooking bullshit ribeyes and chicken breasts. Like, I'm cooking Harris Ranch fillets and stuff. <laughs> it's, and I mean, this is like week two of Brennan's being open. Uh, it's like 2008, nine, somewhere in there. Or? Yeah, something like that. I can't remember exactly. Uh, He's like, all right, you're running the grill. And Bobby Matos was uh, running the pass. He was a sous chef there. Uh, if anyone listening doesn't know who Bobby Matos is by now, uh, Bobby ended up working for uh, Tony Valone for a long time and is now running the kitchen at State of Grace, putting out amazing food at State of Grace here in Houston. Yeah, Bobby uh, makes some of the best pasta. In yeah, extremely talented chef, yeah. yeah. And a really, really good friend. Um, and so I just remember every steak that I sent to the pass. I'm like, can you check that? Make sure that's okay. Make sure... 
is this cooked correctly? Uh, and we just got slammed. And Brennan's has, it's a huge kitchen, one of the biggest in the city, but there's three entree stations. Three guys cooking all the entrees. And so like, you have 300 people, you have 300 people. There are three people cooking entrees for 300 people. And so we just crushed. I had never been that busy in my life. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about the, the stage. Like, I've never been this hot in the kitchen. I've never worked this hard. But holy shit, this is awesome. So then they sit me down. And Bobby and Chef Danny were like, so we're going to offer you the job. Uh, and Bobby goes, so here's the deal. Like, you can stay and clean and we'll pay you for the day or you can go home. I'm like, oh, I can. All right. And I needed two jobs at the time because cooks don't make a lot. And so, all right, cool. I'll stay and clean. Like I'm getting paid. Awesome. Uh, so I worked actually worked two jobs for about six months, and I finally left the, the Chevron gig and went to to Brennan's full time. And and just the the lessons you learn in that restaurant on how to run a restaurant. It's Alex Brennan, one of the owners, is like he'll walk through the kitchen and bend down and pick up trash on the floor himself. The owner, not a lot of owners will do that. But when he sees you step over a piece of trash, he'll call you over and ask you, why, do you, why didn't you pick that up? Yeah, and you a, have zero answer for yeah, that. Yeah, that's a big thing. We've talked about that. I think we talked about it with Nicole Buckman recently about how if the owners of the restaurant are willing to do the most menial task, then it, really it puts the, the onus example. on every yeah. single person in the, in the building. Like, if I'm willing to do this, you better be willing yeah. to do that. Well, I learned that lesson in basic training. Yeah. Uh, it was, we were doing the obstacle course day. Everyone's, oh, obstacle, this is the, the fun stuff, right? And it had poured the night before, and our one of our drill, drill sergeant Tatame, who was a, a, an MP, she's so she's a hard ass. She uh, went and demonstrated the obstacle course for us, and you're going through mud, and and she goes, but I'll I'll never ask my soldiers to do anything I'm not willing mm-hmm. to do myself, and I'm gonna prove it. And so she went and did it, and uh, that's always stuck with me, even to this day. I I cleaned the pit yesterday. I didn't have someone else do it. I could. I'll do it. Like, I'm free, you know? And that's along the same lines that Alex Brennan. Like, yeah. I'll clean this up. I'll pick this up. I just expect you to do the same thing when I'm not here. Right, right. And uh, just, you just learn so much there. And obviously, the pedigree of chefs that, you know, come out of there. But, so, at the same time, I'm doing barbecue at home on the weekends and stuff like that. And going on barbecue runs here and there. Uh, and then Underbelly and Hay Merchant are opening up. And I remember I went to Hay Merchant with the, the wine guy, uh, Marshall from, from Brennan's. Did, you know, let's go check out this bar. And uh, fell in love with Hay Merchant. Hay Merchant was awesome. Uh, but Marshall had worked with Chris Shepard at Brennan's, you know, because Chris used to work there. And so Chris came by and he's like, you guys want a tour of Underbelly? Which wasn't open yet. Yeah, sure. And Chris walked us through and kind of told us what he was wanted to do and how they were going to do things. And it's just like, holy cow, this is awesome. Houston was begging for something like that at that time. And, like, you know, a lot of people like get, like to give Underbelly and Chris the credit for starting this culinary thing that Houston's in. And he deserves a lot of it. But there's three OGs. Reef, which is still Ryan open. Yeah. I mean, rebuilding after the hurricane. Uh, Caswell did a lot for the city. Haven and, yep, and, and Feast. Without Feast and Richard Knight, there's no underbelly. Yep. And I've heard Chris say that. 
Yeah, you know? Richard Knight's a legend in this industry yeah. at this point, and rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, he's recently taken over the old Herald spot, which yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to see what he does with that. But um, what, what Feast did back in those days, and I remember dragging my now wife and my sister to Feast way back in the day, and they thought I was fucking nuts. Yeah. They were like, I'm supposed to eat the skin off this animal. I'm supposed to, yes. Did you ever eat the chicken skin apple? Yes. Chicken skin onion? The, the chicken onion. The oh, chicken God. onion was the most amazing dish. It's, well, that's, I've, that's I've that's talked to you about this dish yeah. many, many times. He has, hours trying to replicate Oh, my that. God. It's he just, has it's a, an idea insane. if and when, which may never happen, but if and when we ever get to throw down about a dish that it's, is it's a, yeah. the, the chicken onions. Uh, for, okay, for the listeners that have no idea what the hell we're talking about right now, a chicken onion is basically a freaking onion wrapped around chicken skin and cooked until it's well, just disgustingly it's, juicy but, but and it's the other way a around, chicken right? skin wrapped around a red onion yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yes and it's it was one of the most amazing dishes i've ever eaten in my the life onion to this day. was cooked perfectly and tasted like chicken but the skin was crispy oh my god it was such a genius dish man it was phenomenal and and what richard knight's done since then at hunky dory and all the places he's yeah. been has just been revolutionary in houston right. dining and I, I can't wait to see what he does does with his his new place and but um, no feast there's no underbelly it, right you know, right feast was way before first. its time yeah and an underbelly came around right at the perfect time, exactly I think. exactly almost like adventure dining it, no, well, I think that's, and a lot of people was, will think of it that way. I mean, you could. It was when Nose of Tail was becoming big and awful cooking, and, and Richard was, uh, and his partner was on the forefront of that. And uh, God, they were putting out good food, and he was it's ridiculous what they were I doing. Mean, and Richard is like your rock star. If Feast chef, opened today, like, it would be the hottest restaurant in the city. It. it would crush it. You know, but it struggled at the time that it was there because I don't think Houston was ready for it. Houston was eating ribeyes. And baked potatoes, well, fried food, you know, and on, man, you know, fried fried catfish because <laughs> there was a lot of things that Houston wasn't ready for that Feast brought to the forefront. And I think today, if it opened right now, it would be the hottest thing in Houston. Yeah, but well, I mean, you could say Chris carried on that legacy. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, Feast was, I believe, I think it was still open when Underbelly opened. Up. It was, yeah, I think but so. But Chris was that second generation of doing it, and look how successful he's been doing it. That that place was, it was fucking magical. I mean, that is the most fun. I've ever had in my career and might be the most fun. It was That was a rock star kitchen. It was a rock star kitchen. I mean you had Daniela, James Beard Award winner, Daniela again. You had Ryan Lashane from Riel, which is a really good restaurant. You had Lau Bento, who I've gone on to work for. JD. Yeah, yeah. JD, Nuge, you know. You had Maddie, you had Peter Yankee in the butcher shop. It was and even the lunch guys, that you know, they everyone was fucking rock stars. The servers went underbelly. Uh, as we know, it closed down the other week. Half of that staff was the original, especially that front of the house. Half of it was the original, and most of those people came from Catalan. That's Chris Shepard. People love Chris and want to work for him. But it's just we're just gonna do cool shit, and we don't care. We're gonna. But 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 it was nose to tail. So I mean, yeah. explain to people what that means. So we we would get whole pigs in. I'm mean, literally a whole pig, and break it down ourselves, uh, or Peter would. Um, We'd get whole goats in and break it down. We would get whole... And, and you would cook and serve every piece of that. Animal. Every piece. Yeah. We wouldn't get a case of steaks. No no case of steaks. Yeah. No case of chicken. we get a bunch of chickens in. we get rabbits in. And we're... Break, I mean, Chris taught us how to break down rabbits. One of the first dishes we did was tête de cochon, which was the uh, pig's face. And so we're deboning pig's face. God, it was delicious. Which was... Awesome. You're bringing back learn. culinary memories for right. me at this point as an eater, not as a cooker, but 
good yeah. lord what underbelly was doing in those early days was just amazing yeah and you know and a lot of the stuff they were turning the charcuterie they, they had the charcuterie room uh and it's i mean your imagination was a limit on what you could do and i would come to chris and like hey i got this idea for this dish i kind of want to do this he's like well just fucking do it then <laughs> oh okay like that's that blew my mind like i i love to tell people brennan's made me a line cook like you you had to roll a brennan's you had to be fast you're cooking for 300 people a night you know you're just pumping food out and underbelly made me a chef chris made you get out of your comfort zone and cook he would give me one of the dishes that ran for a while that i did was a curry eggplant dish and he gave me a bunch of heirloom eggplants and like here do some with this uh, like curry or something like okay <laughs> that was it that was his only instruction and so then it's like oh, i made a curry for him it hadn't tasted like all right that's good yeah well let's do that cool like and so that was the the, the beauty of, of underbelly and a lot of people like to knock it because there were some misses you know there's some dishes that weren't when you've got that kind of creative playground not everything's gonna hit exactly mm-hmm. if you put yourself out there that much you're not gonna knock it out of the park every time yeah for sure yeah and chris was uh the guy who kind of told me to like stop talking about doing barbecue and just do it you know like, well, and, and the um the one thing out of there that i think you mentioned to me before was the uh the um pimento cheese grits was that underbelly yeah we did that at underbelly it was on the lunch menu uh shrimp and grits but we did pimento cheese grits and uh uh i definitely i, I stole that move yeah. but, it, <laughs> as, but it was, as your it was, wife can attest <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no it was phenomenal but it, it's a twist on on the classics and and i think you know i i i'll admit i never went to underbelly and i miss it but um, but from what I've heard, and, and apparently you guys have hard-ons, must have been really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, underbelly, the, the early days of Underbelly are some of the best. No, but I, I, I read a lot. Yeah, I read a lot of a lot of reviews of it. We go show up and cook and kick ass. We shotgun the beers at the end of the night. Go out to Grand Prize or Anvil and have a good time, or you know, hang out in the butcher shop all night just talking food. Yeah. Stay out late and then show up the next day and do it all over again. Yeah. You know, show up early on yeah. Saturday because we had so much prep to do. We're gonna show up at 12, dinner doesn't start till five, but like we're hungover, but we're, we're making it work. That that team, that opening team, like we worked together and we hung out together and we talked about food constantly. It was like, I, we didn't get to this. I came back the next this day after- This portion the, of the podcast brought to you by Underbelly. <laughs> <laughs> They're not even getting any pub off of this because right. they're closed right now. But. I know, but it is. But uh, no, I, after the, the tour, I came back and I begged Chris for a job. I have to work here. I, I have to, and I was already on my way out at Brennan's. I had a job lined up at a steakhouse, a sous chef gig for a lot more money. Um, but I have to come work at this. I've, what you're talking about is amazing. I want to work here. And uh, so I started out with, was, well, we already have our dinner crew, but we got a lunch spot. Like, I'll take it. I'll just, I just want to be here. And about a month later, someone had to leave, and I moved up to dinner. But we did this bulgogi burger, and it was a burger, and I made this bulgogi glaze. And we glazed it, and God, it was so good. And we did it for like a month. It was so good. When you decided that it was it was time to leave Underbelly, it was trying to time time well, to try I something think, new. I think before he left Underbelly, we started doing yeah, pop-ups. you were doing pop-ups. Yeah. Pop-ups. Yeah. pop-ups. Cause like you know, I'm talking, you know, I talked like you know, I, I make good barbecue, blah blah blah. Finally, Chris is like, dude, just stop talking about it and just do it, man. Just do it. Oh, I guess. Yeah. And so like I, you know, I. 
I got the smoker trailer, which I still have, which is still for sale. For Everybody sale? wants to buy it. <laughs> I, I think it was four thousand at last. Four, I, I'm finally down to four thousand. Yeah. Cost me ten. It's been for sale for two years. You know, people keep finding cheaper, better options. Whatever. <laughs> I just want it out of my driveway. Uh, Aaron, my wife wants it out of the driveway. <laughs> uh, so I got the smoker, and then Chris's partner at Underbelly and Hay Merchant were Bobby and Kevin, who were the, the managing partners at Anvil. And Bobby floated this idea of doing barbecue at Anvil once a month, and they would have a big blowout uh, on Sundays, you know, uh, the only day we, we were closed at uh, Underbelly. And uh, it's like, yeah, so I did it, and it was, uh, it, was, it was great. Really, the first time I sold my barbecue was Underbelly did a dinner at Grand Prize. So when Grand Prize is doing the... When the Adam Doris is doing the, things, the things and yeah. yeah, and Josh Martinez, and uh, we were nominated for a bunch of culture map, not culture map, I'm sorry, the My Table Awards. We're like, well, let's just do this dinner to raise a bunch of money to like buy t- buy a table, two tables for this, and we'll get a, 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 a party bus. So we each did our own dish, and uh, I did uh, I did brisket and I grabbed uh, coleslaw and beans or something. But the thing was brisket, and I cooked two briskets, and they were select briskets from Kroger because <laughs> I didn't know any better, you know. Uh, and the, I just remember that, and I'm going to say this because I just want to give him more time, is Ryan Lashane went down so hard that night because <laughs> he was doing poutine and and That's because he's Canadian, yes. so give him a break well, and, here. And, and poutine's actually coming around again. Yeah, too, so. he was doing poutine and bone marrow, and every single ticket had that on there. And there was only so That kitchen is tiny, and there was like eight of us crammed back there. No one could move. And at one point, he had like 17 of these on order, and we just gave him, he was our sous chef. <laughs> so we just gave it back to him. And it was, I mean, I love Ryan, but I just had, you know. Uh, but no, so that was the first time I sold my barbecue was, was at, that, at that dinner. And the line was out the door. And I think, I don't even think we ran out of food. I think we just stopped cooking. Like, we're done. <laughs> Let's start drinking. Let's drink. We yeah. raised enough yeah. money. Uh, but no, so, you know, I started doing the thing at Anvil. I'd work Tuesday through Saturday, get out of service Saturday, hustle to get out of there Saturday night, run home, get the smoker going, get the briskets on, cook all night, get the anvil, start service, I think it was at four or whenever they open up, and then do that all night and then go home and finally get some sleep. And uh, I did that once a month for a while. And that just kind of led to the next thing. I ended up at Grand Prize for a while. you know, and so was it was it around this time that uh, that you met Miss Erin uh, Smith? Yeah, yeah, she was. Uh, she did the menu for Blacksmith, uh, which was across the street, same company, and so she was in the kitchen a lot. And it's funny that we're at the Houston Barbecue Festival because the very first Houston Barbecue Festival, I bought tickets and went as a guest, and she bought tickets and went as a guest, and we didn't know each other. I knew who she was. Because uh, I followed her on Twitter, and when she had the the pink bangs at Plonk, pink, right? Yeah, those pink bangs, were, the Guanachali burger, was, yeah, and all that stuff. That, that was yeah. it for me. Those pink bangs, <laughs> and I was re- I just remember I was really hoping I'm going to run into this blonde chick, the the, the, the chef from Plonk, at the barbecue festival because I saw she was there. Never ran into her. Still worked out. So, uh, yeah. So we uh, it was actually actually today, the Facebook memories thing told me today oh, wow. was. I, I can't tell you the year. She can't either. So, so I guess six <laughs> years ago, 
was uh, Go Pick or Go Home. And that was the night I asked her out the second time. The, ni- the, the, the night she said yes. <laughs> I asked her out before and she blew me off. She said yes and then like last second, like, oh, I'm tired, I'm going home. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I met her there and then uh, it worked out. We're married, we're business partners. She's my boss, <laughs> sorta. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, she was a blacksmith and then uh, she was in the kitchen a lot. So I just kind of got to talking and she needed a smoker for Go Pick or Go Home. And I had this smoker that's still for sale. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we cooked a couple suckling pigs on there. So I guess I you could say- So your, your history of, of whole hog is uh, actually pretty long. Yeah, yeah. As long as I've been together with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's tied together, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that was my first whole hog was uh, two suckling pigs that came in frozen from a, a purveyor and a Michon pig from Felix that took hmm. way longer to cook than I thought it was going to take. Do you have any idea what you were doing at the time or was it let's just throw these hogs on a pit? Let's and- just throw these hogs on a pit and just figure it out and and drank beer <laughs> sounds like a good plan usually yeah it was uh it was struggling trying to get those michon that michon cooked all the way but uh whatever i mean we didn't it was a competition we didn't win but whatever but we ended up drinking beer in the back of my truck behind underbelly till like three in the morning and asked her out the second time the rest is history but uh but no it was um you know i was doing barbecue once a month while I was in Underbelly, and then um, trying to do as much smoke stuff on the menu as Chris would let me. Uh, we did some smoke short ribs, some really cool stuff. I'd bring my smoker up there. It's kind of the beginning of the smoke program at, at, at Underbelly. And at the same time, like Chris likes to just buy everything from farmers. So it wouldn't be a surprise to walk into the cooler and holy crap, there's 600 pounds of grapefruit. <laughs> what the hell are we gonna do with this? Or barbecue sauce. <laughs> exactly. I made a grape, uh, grapefruit barbecue sauce, which actually came out really well. You just put a shit ton of sugar in it and some vinegar. To, you know. But, uh, you know, so we made, I was making cool, and they got that canning program. So, you know, I was making cool barbecue sauces there, you know, putting them on. Like, oh, shit, these peaches are going to turn. Let's just make peach barbecue sauce, you know. But uh, it's around that time was when Ronnie Killen was uh, doing his pop-ups. And uh, one of our first, I guess, dates, uh, Aaron and I went on as we went You down. and Ronnie Killen were on a date? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Just no, that, that was later. Uh, we, Ronnie and I spent a few nights together. Uh, Aaron and I went down to Killen's pop-up when he was still at the steakhouse. And uh, Ronnie was on the line serving the food with Teddy. and Got his Franklin shirt on. I don't remember. I don't remember what he was God, I'll never forget. That was my my first. I was at the first pop up that Ronnie did at the steakhouse, and I think that like the weekend before he had gone to Franklin is kind of like his last little indoctrination into starting the barbecue. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm gonna wear the the Franklin shirt the first day. Did and he so, draw a target on it? Or something? He did not. He did not. He had the old school Franklin shirt on, and 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 the barbecue was really freaking good. Yeah, it was. It I mean, I just. Away. It was because that the early days of of Brian and I both eating barbecue. We'd leave Houston if we wanted, like, world-class barbecue. You wouldn't stay in Houston because there wasn't a whole lot of it here. And, and Ronnie was really at the forefront of a lot of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, I was following him. Ronnie knew who we were, or probably knew who Aaron was. Uh, I was just some line cook. 
you know, Aaron was the chef. Uh, but, you know, he came out and talked to us and, 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 and took care of us and really enjoyed our, our, the barbecue there. And then, you know, I guess as he got close, I was following him as he's getting working on getting open, you know, and kind of watching him build that brick pit. Uh, rest in peace. It's no longer there, I guess. Um, he uh, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I'm looking for someone to help out. Why don't you come down and talk? Let's sit down and talk. I went down there and talked. Kind of told me what he wanted to do, what he's thinking about. It's like, I don't know. Let me let me think about it. You know, I, I loved working in Underbelly. Um, went back and went and told Chris, like, look, Ronnie reached out to me going down there I'm not sure if I want to because I just wasn't ready to leave Underbelly and Chris goes yeah you should go do that and which was not the answer I expected I expected him to tell me he's like no stay here and it just kind of what he's like well I mean you want to run a barbecue restaurant I can't teach you how to run a barbecue restaurant so Ronnie can just go work for Ronnie yeah. duh huh. alright went down and talked to Ronnie again like yeah it's not that I was apprehensive about working for Ronnie or, or that. It's just I just, like, I really wasn't. I, I, mean, I love my job. Like I said, the Underbelly was the most fun I've ever had in this career. But uh, barbecue's getting pretty serious, you know, so. The next I logical go, step. And, yeah, it's yeah. just the next logical step. Uh, so, yeah, I went down, and the timing didn't quite work out where I had to do my two weeks. And so I wasn't there on day one at Killens, but I think I was there like maybe a week later early enough to say beef ribs don't come on the meat plates <laughs> god, god i haven't heard that in a while <laughs> i know i had to bring it back i think i you. wrote that somewhere eventually <laughs> yeah I think I'm pretty I, sure like in chalk wrote that on the menu beef ribs don't come <laughs> yes, on the meat I plates remember those days. <laughs> say that five times fast because i have uh, uh yeah so you know we went there and, and uh ronnie is like i have my own style you know and but you know i'm going there to do ronnie's food and uh, just help him get this place going. Uh, I told Ronnie, look, I really want to open my own restaurant. Like, I can promise you a year. Anything after that, who knows? But I've, I've always believed, always work at least a year somewhere. Uh, and uh, so I, I promise you a year. Anything after that, we'll see. So, you know, I mean, killings. And out the gate was insane. Uh, and it only got crazier. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so... My biggest thing when I was there is is let's let's get this line moving as quickly as possible. There's you know 300 people online. Biggest complaint is the line. Let's move this as quick as possible. Uh, we had the space to do it. Like Franklin, Franklin, the line moves a little slow, but he doesn't have the seats. They have to move slow, or else you're gonna be standing there waiting for a chair to open up. And plus, it's the experience. Aaron's talking to you. And, you oh know, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the thing is, if you go to Franklin and and Aaron's working that day, and he stands there and he doesn't give you a moment to talk to him, it, it you get frustrated, right? Yeah, because you've spent four yeah. or five hours in line before to get there. Exactly. So that that it slows down. Overall, it's it's a pretty fast moving experience compared to some other restaurants that we won't name. Um, Not but if you just <laughs> no, no, and and Andrew's we'll talked that. about that. Yeah, <laughs> Patrick um, knows we've talked about and, this. Too. And you know, Corkscrew is another one that moves really fast. Yeah, um, but there there are definitely some that that move slow at a leisurely pace. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and. You know, again, back to Franklin, part of it is because they need, even if it's not Aaron working the counter, 
I mean, every time we've gone, the meat cutter talks to us. And, well, you, know, you spend that you kind from? of time in line. You don't right. want to be. It does. You don't want it to be assembly line barbecue. Yeah, right? which yeah. is a delicate balance. Yeah, I've, I've I've gone to Killens as a guest with friends, and even though I worked there and ran that line on the block, it's still like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> like it's it's very quick, yeah. and so it's an intimidating. So it's. I mean, we, you try not to make it like that, but you still want to be... It's a delicate balance, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, you, he, to your point, right, you, you, you've got people that have waited in line, and even at Killens, they're waiting in line before they come up. The line is long. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's part of their popularity, and it's the same thing. If you shuffle them through at a super fast pace, there, there's people that will complain about that. And if you spend time and talk to them, there's people that are going to complain about behind the them are gonna, right. yeah, There's yeah, literally yeah. no, no it's it's a, something to complain about. It's a no-win. Yeah. I mean, you do your best to try to, like I said, the delicate balance yeah. and everything. So. And you know what? I, I, I really do think that the people in Austin are more willing. They're more laid back. Austin's more laid back. They're more willing to sit and wait in line oh, than yes. people in Houston. Houston is very busy. Go, 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 go. And so, you can, so the, Austin, if there's a line, people will just go get in it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's Austin, they love. I'm not even love the way they line. Do. I'm not even hop kidding. Dottie. Yeah. Hop, hop, MF Dotty. Like, yeah, yeah. And or, it's or not a knock on hop. The fried chicken places moly. now are yeah. the same way. You yeah, know, it's, it's insane. It's like, oh look, this place is popular. I'll go get in line, <laughs> and they won't even complain about it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's fascinating. But I mean, Houston's a busy go 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 city, so the people are that way. I mean, even looking at the traffic, like traffic in Houston is insane. Yep. Austin drove me crazy because everyone's driving below the speed limit. Like, get out of my way! <laughs> no, but, only the people in the left lane drive below the speed limit. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, so that was I mean that was my number one goal when we first opened up. It's like a getting running off the block so you can see how the restaurant is going instead of just being tied to that butcher's block, and then also like let's get this moving as quickly as we can and and. Uh, so, I wasn't necessarily the, the I wasn't the pit master. Uh, Manny was the pit master. Uh, Manny had been with him for nine years before that. I was going to be with him. It's kind of the legendary thing about Ronnie Killen at this point is the people in his restaurant oh. group have been there a long yeah. time, yeah. Yeah. which is almost unheard of in the restaurant industry at this point. Well, so. Ronnie's a good guy to work for. I was yeah. about to Ronnie's say my, my understanding is he takes care of yeah. his yeah. people. That, that's very what well. we've heard yeah. from Ronnie's multiple people. Ronnie's not a yeller. Yeah. He, you know, if when Ronnie gets upset and gets loud, you know you screwed up. He, he's a very, he's a great boss. Uh, but yeah, so, and Manny is still there after I left what, he's like, today. four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Manny's the pit master and I'm just, I guess you say the kitchen manager, kind of just make sure the sides come out the way they're supposed to manage the kitchen, do the orders, help Manny out. I was, it was great. Cause I could, if Manny needed the day off, I can jump on the pits. I know how to barbecue. Right. You know, um, <clears throat> And those were, you know, and he, he went to an oiler. Um, yeah. Was that, was that a new experience for you cooking on that? Was that yeah, the I'd first time? Yeah, I never cooked on an oiler. I would only done offsets and never even like really like the Langs or the, you know, the well-known offsets. My smoker was some fabrication shop down in A-Leaf. Like they just do this thing on the side. Shout out to A-Leaf. Yeah. <laughs> SWAT. Uh, um, and, and so how did that, I mean, how did that affect how you were cooking or what did you learn from the oiler that was different? Because because in your new restaurant, you have an oiler as well. Yeah. So there had to be some kind of connection to why, why you like that. Well, for us, it's out of necessity because I don't have a outside because we're in the food court. So anything I'm cooking, if I'm going to cook on site, it's got to be on site. So it limits it. Oiler, Southern Pride, Old Hickory. Uh, may, I maybe could have pushed pit makers, but I don't think that they would have gone with that uh but i've worked on an oiler before i like the oiler it's the only non-gas option 
Uh, so that's why I went with it. But, you know, it's the oiler, it, it made it more consistent. You know, if it controlled the airflow for you, no spikes and temps, no dips, if, as long as you kind of watch the fire. And by, and by control the airflow, for people that don't know, it, it has an automatic damper. Yeah. That is, that is uh, controlled by the temperature of the, the pit itself. Yeah. So it, it has a damper that controls the airflow into the firebox. And it also has doors that will open up to let the heat out of the smoker as well if it gets too hot and uh and it's a rotisserie so everything's uh dripping on you know briskets are dripping on briskets so everything came out more moist you know more more, less dry and uh and it could hold a lot of briskets and uh it was it was great we had the oiler and we had the lang ronnie's lang the famous one that got stolen which is now in my backyard um not stolen but uh (laughs) I told, I, I told Ronnie, like, if you ever saw, I, I love that Lang. I was like, if you ever sell this, let me know. I'll buy it from you. And he ended up selling it, so he sold it to me. But we, so the overnight cooks was on the oiler because you can get a little bit more hours out of the, the wood, uh, get some sleep. And then, like, the ribs, the sausage, actually, the sausage came off the brick pit, um, which I don't miss. I hated diving <laughs> the, into that thing. The the, uh, the big mistake at the time, I think. <sighs> yeah. That thing was a monster and just ate wood and just smoked out the whole kitchen just i mean it you know it's a testament to pit design you know that it's not as easy as it yeah. seems right um you know visually you can't always just build yeah, something yeah those visually. brick pits right. look glorious when you just stare at them but we ever have to cook on one of them things yeah but the sausage has never been better than when it came off that brick pit and it's it was perfect for that brick pit because it's more of like a, a old school smokehouse mm-hmm. for the sausage uh, Similar, Louis Miller is the yeah. one that comes to mind yeah, always yeah. that it's resembles to me. Uh, but it, that was always my Resembled. job. Man, he was too busy with the smokers outside, so that was always my job to deal with the sausage, <laughs> sticking my head in that thing. Uh, but no, the lang we cooked, the ribs, the, 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 the turkey, the chicken, those all came off really good on that. And then, uh, so I'd, I'd show up, kind of help him get stuff going, get stuff off, and then jump in the kitchen, help the guys with the sides, run service, and then uh, help him get stuff on the smoker and stuff just kind of tag team it because it was a lot man we were doing god i don't know we were doing like 60 something briskets a day i think the most we ever did while i was there was like 80 yeah 85. the, the impact on killen's barbecue on houston barbecue is crazy the amount of yeah. business that killen's did i mean even to this day but those early days were just nuts yeah. i even to this day i don't think there's anyone in the state that sells more barbecue than ronnie like, it, it was crazy i remember and, those yeah. early days that brian and i went there all the time because like that was the gold standard in houston yeah. i mean oh and it's still one of the greatest in houston to get me wrong but now there's a lot more great houston barbecue yeah. but in those days it was Ronnie, Corkscrew, and a couple other things, and that was pretty much it. Gatlin's at their original location. Right, yeah, Gatlin's was still in the little location on 19th Street in the Heights, and, yeah, but but Killen's absolutely was a a game changer for for Houston Barbecue. Yeah. And, we didn't uh, have to drive to, to Austin. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah finally. It was I mean, a I, huge I was there, like, once yeah, a month yeah. at first. What was so year. funny, though, is, like, Corkscrew was up north, and, and Killen's was down in Pearland, and there was still no barbecue restaurants like that in houston yeah and it's it took a while for for that to hit because i remember people complaining like why isn't it in houston they keep doing the suburbs like let's do the houston but uh yeah it's i mean that place is insane you know it was it still is it it is and you were there for about a year yeah yeah and then and then around that year time frame you know i guess i guess some more opportunities started to rise for you well there's um so there was an old barbecue restaurant right outside my neighborhood 
off of South Post Oak. It, it was South Post Oak Ranch Barbecue, and that was the current name. It was it goes dates back to the seventies. Uh, um, old one of those old school little crappy Houston barbecue joints that you know you grew up eating or whatever. But well, uh, back to the seventies, was it? Did it have a live fire? Was it a brick pit? Do you remember? Actually, they had an oiler back there, a really wow. small wow. like OG oiler um, that wasn't actually. It was pieced together. It was falling apart. Um, but that you know they closed, and so I started checking that out, and it it didn't really work out. It needed to be updated, you know, ADA for you know disability stuff, and everything was. The place is kind of falling apart, and it's more of a teardown. But it's right outside the neighborhood. I could walk to work. It's on South Post Oak, which is only getting busier. So it was. A, it's a great location, and if it was in better shape, I probably would have jumped on it. But uh, it, whatever, it didn't work out. And then Lyle Bento approached me. The whole time I'm still doing the pop-ups, occasionally, not as much, because working a little bit more at Killens than I was at Underbelly. Lyle had been a sous chef at Underbelly. Yeah. Um, Lyle had built an incredible restaurant reputation. I worked at Feast. Yeah, worked at he was Feast a sous for a chef while. At Feast, yeah. yeah. So he approached me about doing something. He said, I'm Southern Goods. It's Southern food. We want a smoke aspect to it. Uh, you know, I want you to come on board. We, uh, there's other stuff we want to do as well. So you can do a barbecue restaurant. All right, cool. You know, I jumped on that. Well, there you have it. That was uh, Patrick Fegis's career leading up to southern goods which is a well right now it's closed hopefully they reopen soon they had some fire damage but uh but patrick left kiln's barbecue to to take a job as a sous chef at southern goods and further his career and his experience and we'll we'll hear about the rest of his story in episode three which will be coming up soon so we thank you guys for listening um please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening app so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they're available and if you feel so inclined rate us and review us on your favorite podcast listening app you can reach us if you have any questions about the show or about upcoming episodes or ideas. You can reach us on multiple social media platforms. Instagram, we are at Tales from the Pits. Twitter, we are at BBQ Podcast. You can also email us, talesfromthepits at gmail.com. So we thank you for listening and catch us next time.